This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Josh Schluff on the line. Josh, how are you? Good, good. How are you doing? Good. We booked the show a while back and earlier this week, uh, you're PR person contacted me and the tone of our conversation is going to be different because of COVID-19 and whatnot. You're the founder of Sudden Coffee and you just come off uh, the best two months of the organization as far as revenue and sales and things like that. But unfortunately, COVID-19 has taken a toll. So First off, let's talk about your background, you know, why you launched the organization, a little bit about you, and then we'll dive into uh, what's happened with your organization. Yeah, absolutely. Sudden Coffee is the world's first really high-end specialty instant coffee. So we invented a new manufacturing process to be able to make instant coffee in a way that no one else had really done before. Uh, My background, so I grew up in the Bay Area, grew up in a kind of tech startup family, and My dad was doing a supply chain startup, went to college, and I wanted to just learn more about what my dad was working on when I was a kid. So I started taking supply chain classes, got really into that, and became obsessed with this idea of optimizing restaurants and optimizing food supply chains. And after school, went to McKinsey, did lots of supply chain operation stuff, then worked at Groupon, which was working on point-of-sale systems for restaurants on one of the teams. And so I was working on apps that would help restaurants be more efficient. And so that was sort of like the app version of what I wanted to do. And after that, I knew I wanted to do a startup. And so just started messing around for about a year and a half, going through idea after idea, sometimes literally in my kitchen, trying out different startup ideas and different things that kind of mixed everything together. And then eventually met my co-founder who had been working on instant coffee in a garage and someone introduced us and we we started working on sudden and that was four and a half years ago the supply chain experience and obviously working with mckinsey would give you insights to things that many many entrepreneurs wouldn't have access to brother of mine did some IT work for McKinsey a couple decades ago. So I'm well aware of of their work and and what they do on a global scale and subscribe to the newsletter and and learn a lot of things about life and business and looking at things in different ways. So, So your insights gave you this opportunity. So when you're looking and planning out startup ideas, my hunch is not only do you bring up the normal we could do this, we could do this. But my guess is you probably had a framework involved well as a, a much more robust template of, okay, here's all the ways that the supply chain would work on this particular product or service. So it guessing that you probably shortened the distance between a successful business startup to a successful business ongoing through those exercises and, and eliminated those dozen or so other ideas that you thought, well, this isn't going to work or it may not work as, as fast as we want it to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, actually, when I was in picking an idea mode, as I call it, I, for this idea, you know, everything I did, I started my career around 2008 and it was all about going into factories and figuring out how to make things more efficient. And when we started working on sudden, 
my co-founder had a really basic process that worked in a kitchen or in a garage. And the question was, how do we make it, how do we scale it to 100,000 times the size? How do we reduce cost? It used to cost us $6 to make one cup of coffee. And I was like, okay, cool. This is exactly, you know, that, that was exactly the stuff I worked on in consulting was, you know, how to make something cheaper, how to scale something up. And so everything I used in consulting, I just plugged right into it. And those are skills that entrepreneurs often lack because they think this is going to be the greatest thing. And we see it all the time with all the startups that have launched over the last you know, couple of decades and even the businesses that many of us use today they're still losing a ton of money and have never seen a day of profit. But, you know, Sudden Coffee, obviously, you, the combination of a very simplistic process to get this stuff made and the consulting side of things of organizing, I'm sure, made a big difference in being able to, to launch the business and have it do what it, what it did. Let's fast forward now into where we are in 2020. So, you, you you alluded to it before, and I know we talked about in the show notes uh, or the pre-show notes, I should say, about you know the last couple months of the year. So January and February were amazing from a revenue standpoint for the organization. So talk about that, and then then we'll dive into, unfortunately, what COVID nineteen has done. Yeah, I mean, it's been a really interesting journey for us the last six months. You know, I think obviously as you alluded to, so we we made the decision recently to shut down the company. Um, this is the first time actually we're talking about it publicly. It was really, you know, if you had looked at the company a month before, we would have been at the peak of our success. And I think that was something that was really interesting and something that I think is not necessarily uncommon with startups. And so, yeah, we, you know, we, a lot of our history, we started out as a direct to consumer subscription. So, you know, it was go online, we send you instant coffee, and we had, three years of pivoting and trying to figure out who we were and what our core competency was. And eventually we spent a lot more time on manufacturing and R&D and we pivoted to being this B2B company. So we became a processor for instant coffee or for other coffee companies. They would send us their beans. We turn it into instant coffee. And we went from working with, you know, zero brands to 34 brands within a year some of these brands were they were international we had some in japan australia canada they were the top brands in coffee companies like intelligentsia ritual coffee equator coffee uh, brands that are available on, across whole foods shelves all over the country and you know we were making their instant coffee i think one of the issues we had had over the last six months is we had a manufacturing process that was brand new never been done before and as a result of that, it had some really exciting attributes. It was, it tasted fantastic. It was much more efficient than anything that had been done before. But we, we rolled it out too fast and we screwed up. And fall of last year had a total production stoppage, had to stop everything and fixed a bunch of stuff. We lost $100,000 worth of product. And then we finally fixed things in January and February. And we were shipping out the most coffee we've ever shipped, 50,000 units a month for a bunch of these brands. And we were on track to keep doing it. And then we basically got to the point where we ran out of money. And you know, I can kind of get into you know, the, the VC conversations we had at that time were really interesting. And then yeah, out of, right in, in kind of the middle of figuring that out, 
COVID-19 happened and whatever chance we had was evaporated. So it was kind of an interesting process. Oh, definitely. And it's amazing. And as we're still in the middle of, of what this COVID-19 situation is and, and will do, it comes down to this, you know, it's uncharted waters for, for many organizations. And, you know, I'm not lost on the fact where you had two of your best months ever. You, you sorted some things out. You had some production issues. You addressed them pretty quickly, quite frankly, and, and got things back. And you had humongous orders. Obviously, the demand is there. But, you know, the venture capital money right now, and I know it's not just exclusive to you, but across the sector, is pretty much dried up. No one is investing in pretty much anything right now, which is alarming in a way because that's what drives innovation. That's what drives new products. And I I think we're going to be in for an interesting dynamic once things get to whatever normal is going to look like because you're going to have this big gap of time where there was no investment in new things, which of course extends the time for new things to come out. So you're going to have existing things, but some of those organizations and the stat that I've seen is, you know, if this goes on much longer, then we could be looking at up to 30% of small businesses not returning. And you think about that and how many people those people employ and, and whatnot. And if this looks anything like the economic recession from 08, 09, and 10, a lot of organizations will not be bringing everybody back. Again, it's concerning for me because this is actually the time for VCs to be bold because normally, and that's what, again, it confuses me a bit. And I, VCs tend to invest in startups that have a vision and have something that everyone looks at and goes, okay, this is going to be something amazing. You obviously hit something special with this new way of making coffee. And as somebody that has consumed instant coffee, when you said it makes it taste amazing, obviously that intrigues the heck out of me because I've never had instant coffee taste amazing. It's usually, you know, it, of course, I, I wasn't buying the best of beans either. So you, you, you can't expect something great out of, you know, horrible beans. But at the end of the day, you've got this amazing high demand product that could revolutionize things. And unfortunately, the, you know, the VC money ran out and you had to, you know, pull the plug on something that was successful. Um, it's, I'm not lost on this. And we'll dive in a little bit further into, into discussions and the decision, because when you have successful months like that, and all of a sudden the money is up, did you discuss other potential options or did you decide, okay, this, this might be a good time to cut our losses before we get too deep into this? What, what was that discussion? If, if, and obviously share what you're comfortable sharing because I don't want to violate any, any confidentiality agreements you have with your partners or investors or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think what was really interesting, so we kind of hit this point where I think there's one trend that's that's going on, and and I actually talk, caught up with one of our advisors who's a VC yesterday, and it's interesting that like VCs are still making a lot of investments right now, but I think one of the areas that was already drying up before 
COVID-19, and I would guess would continue to dry up, is anything that touches a physical product or the physical world. And I think the, the investment market is responding to exits of companies like Casper or even Uber, where anything that really was involved with the physical world, the businesses were, had much lower margins and were much harder to scale. And what I mean by that is you always end up having this, you know, if a, a million people sign up for your website in one day, all you do is just turn a server knob and you can get a million more signups. But if you have a million people signing up for Uber in one day, you don't have a million drivers. So you have to spend time getting those drivers to be able to scale. And that's true with any physical product business. And it was absolutely true with Sudden Coffee. And so I think VCs have, after seeing these bad exits, I, mean, I never thought about as an entrepreneur. Like, you know, I was just like, this is a cool idea and people want to buy it. I never thought about like how they were viewing our business versus others. And so I think after having this string of bad outcomes, with the feedback we were getting from folks was, hey, like, it's clear people really like what you're doing, but number one, we don't want to invest in physical products. We also don't want to invest in building out a factory. It's going to be really hard to scale that. And that was kind of the feedback we were getting. And I think a big part of it as well was, you know, we had a lot of team burnout, burnout with myself, burnout with other folks on our team. And it was coming from this place of like, we have been working for a long time without enough money. Like we've been a machine learning for coffee company software. We would be able to raise like 10 times as much money. And we couldn't do that. And so we're like, have an understaffed team. Everyone's stressed out. The market's telling us we can't raise as much money. And so, yeah, I think the interesting thing is we did pursue other funding sources. We tried talking to private equity and then at the end, tried to get acquired. And it was this really weird math of what, like no investment vehicle could properly capitalize building a factory in America. And I think that was like a very, and when I saw that, like when I could see how they were looking at it from their perspective, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, I think this is probably dead on arrival that, you know, part of that's my own opinion, but I was like, I just don't think we'll be able to find anyone to fund this. And it also was just really disheartening and saddening because I think, you know, when you hear even before COVID-19, like the lack of manufacturing jobs and all this stuff, but I was getting very clear feedback as to why that's happening in America, why no one will invest in that, why there are, those jobs are drying up. And I think that was, you know, just a little bit disappointing to, to experience. It definitely. And the factories in America, it wasn't that long ago where that was the, the infrastructure of our nation. And, and now, because so many things have been exported, you know, to other countries to do manufacturing, even though there's still plenty of empty factories across the country, some of them have been converted into condominiums and bars and restaurants and other things, but the infrastructure is still around and the turnaround time to convert those uh, wouldn't take long. We're seeing it now because you know, a lot of organizations that make different things are immediately changing their assembly lines and they're making N95 masks and ventilators and other equipment. So no one can argue that you can't take a factory that makes cars or widgets or anything else and convert it into 
the mechanism to make what sudden coffee needed. Uh, so um, I'm a bit lost and perplexed by that. I think it, it all boils down to mindset, I think, at the end of the day, is people, investors, for one, for some reason, automatically assume that, well, if you want to make any type of profit margin, you can't build it in America. You can sell it, but you can't build it because we need to use offshore personnel where you know cost of wages, unfortunately, are lower, even though in those economies, the pay they get might be beneficial for, for those particular countries, but not typically, from my experience anyway. So you have all these nuances and these roadblocks. And what scares me about this is how many products and services are out there that people would thoroughly enjoy and make their lives better, but never see the light of day or get pulled away too soon because of this type of thinking from investors and the people that have the resources to make these things happen. It's, it's disappointing to me for sure. And I, I know it's disappointing to you because you put so much time and effort into this organization and had to make that very difficult decision of um, shutting up shop. Yeah. I mean, I can say definitely from directly talking to quite a few founders who've worked on hardware companies and, you know, this happens all the time where both hardware and, and services, you know, I have a friend who, uh, this is five years ago now, but he'd been working on, and it was a, get a pizza with, it was this, an app that would deliver you the best I've ever had in five minutes. And it was the, literally the best pizza I've ever had. He had tons of orders, but you know, similar problem like scaling in the physical world was really difficult. And he shut down and gotten a Bitcoin and, you know, it's been way better since. And I think it's interesting. I think there's plenty of factories in the US, you know, obviously, but I think it's very difficult to create new ones, especially as a startup. And so it's, it's sort of like we, we have what we have, and it's going to be hard to really create new ones or new, new core competencies. And I think a big part of that is you're buying these machines, right? A machine's 500K. Well, you'd like to get a loan for that. You can't get a loan because you you're a startup, so you don't have any revenue to back that up. So you need venture. Well, VCs don't want to give you money to buy factory equipment. So you're kind of stuck in this like neither here nor there. Like I can't get a loan. I can't raise a venture for it. So, okay, we can't get this factory equipment. It's not going to happen. You know, we were in this case of we were scaling a new process. It's, it's different than, you know, a lot of folks in food will find, like if they're launching a new granola bar, they'll find someone that makes granola bars already and give them a new ingredient. We were doing something no one had done before. And so that made it particularly hard because we couldn't just go find someone who had the stuff already. And, you know, I know that ha that happens all the time with like battery startups, for example, there's, you read about all these innovations and in batteries that happen in a lab scale and they never make it to manufacturing levels because of things like this, you know, and I don't blame the venture community either. Like when, if you do the math from where they're sitting, it totally makes sense. And I think, you know, at this point, that's why, I, you know, now going forward, I'm like, okay, probably like avoid the physical world for, for now, at least. And especially I think with COVID-19, I think it makes it even harder to do, to do so. You're a wise soul for, you know, avoiding that side of things, especially now, because even though we've got a lot of unknowns, there are some certain 
historical markers that we can follow when situations like this happen and investments tend to go into more of the online and like you said, Bitcoin earlier and things like that. Ventures like that where going to scale and being able to exceed things uh, is a bit easier than, like you said, having a physical plant or parts or services and things like that that take a lot longer to scale and investment and of course, investors want their return on investment. They want it before they invest oftentimes, unfortunately. But at the end of the day, I understand where they're coming from too, because it is their money. I get it. But uh, I'm disappointed that, you know, that this has happened to you and your team, as well as you know, disappointed on what society loses out on when other you know, people like you have something that will make our lives better. But unfortunately, you know, the plug gets pulled on it because of, of funding challenges. So before we wrap up, you know, I, and this may be a silly question to ask, but um, what's next? Um, and it's okay if you don't know. I think for many of us, that's we're kind of in that same boat. But I'm curious, you know, what ideas you have percolating again without, you know, don't give away the kernel's recipe by any stretch, but you know, what's, what's up? Next for Josh. I think we'll see for now. I, mean, I think I'm definitely going to force myself to spend two week, two months not focused on any kind of work, work thing. I've been a lot more passionate about climate change. So if there's ways to do something in climate change that are that is involving bits and bytes and not the physical world, I think I would you know look at something like that. But yeah, I, I'm also you know I think. I've been having a lot of conversations with friends about how the world changes with COVID-19. And, you know, I think just brainstorming ideas around, you know, I think like there's going to be a lot more uh, focus on, you know, I guess maybe the idea of like scalable media, right? Like I've already been to virtual concerts or like DJ sets where someone's DJing in their room and it's sort of like organized online or, new ways of work or socializing that are going to work in this, in this new, in this new world. I think that's really interesting. I don't know that I'm necessarily less suited for it, but it's at least something I want to look into. And I think, you know, for anyone out there listening, um, I think while like, uh, and yeah, I mean, I know I sound like I'm already on the next thing, but like definitely been going through a lot of pain and just like emotional processing and others on my team have as well. But after that, you know, and I think for other folks who've lost their jobs, I think there's, there could be a lot of interesting ideas and ways to go and, you know, who knows what the future holds. So I think it's, yeah, I'm, I'm just staying curious and open-minded at this point. Well, I appreciate you being so vulnerable and, and be willing to share this story and, and you know, obviously we'll be keeping tabs on what's next and, I agree. You know, take take some time to to heal and to mourn and to celebrate and all of those things that we do when when an organization like yours, you know, has to wrap up and know that you'll you'll be successful and no matter what you do, it's just you know taking that time and getting the clarity to do what you want to do. So, Josh, appreciate you being on the show today. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. It was really great. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. 
If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get us a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.